hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. This episode is sponsored by JetBrains, makers of RubyMine. If you like having an IDE that provides great inline debugging tools, built-in version control, and intelligent code insight and refactorings, check out RubyMine by going to jetbrains.com ruby. This podcast is sponsored by New Relic. To track and optimize your application performance, go to rubyrogues.com slash newrelic. This episode is sponsored by Code Climate. Over 1,000 organizations trust Code Climate to help improve quality and security in their Ruby apps. Get 50% off your first three months for being a Rogues listener by starting a free trial this week. Go to rubyrogues.com slash codeclimate. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 123 of the Ruby Rogues podcast. This week on our panel, we have James Edward Gray. You all might may want to program wet and naked. Yikes. Avdi Grimm. Hello. Uh, I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv, and we've got a special guest, and that is Peter Solnitsa. Uh, that was very good. Uh, hey, hello everyone, I'm Peter. Well, I was just thinking it rhymed with pizza. So. <laughs> Alright, well, do you want to just explain who you are and what you've done? Uh, okay, sure. Uh, so, uh, I'm a software developer from Poland. Uh, I live in Krakow. I'm mostly a Ruby developer. I'm also doing some uh, front-end work from time to time. People probably know me from a project called Data Mapper, and now it's called Ruby Object Mapper. So this is my like uh, biggest priority in open source right now. And yeah, that would be it, probably. So I, Data Mapper is dead? Just kidding. Just, just <laughs> there. That, that, that's a hard question. <laughs> <laughs> so are you not following the Data Mapper pattern anymore, or...? Did you just uh, feel like it was actually, time to refresh? It's the other way around, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's the other way, way around. Uh, so we basically started with uh, Data Mapper as the project name. However, it implements Active Record Pattern, which is kind of funny. Eventually, we decided to rename the project Ruby Object Mapper because uh, we didn't like we didn't actually like uh, having the project called by the pattern itself. So the, fir- the first project called Data Mapper, as I said, is, is an implementation of Active Record. So right now, what, what we're doing is basically building a real Data Mapper as the true implementation of Data Mapper pattern. So that's basically a short story. <laughs> so uh, you're you're now building uh, Ruby Object Mapper as a Data Mapper pattern. Yes, exactly, exactly. Because uh, Data Mapper one like has some elements of data mapper, uh, the pattern. Uh, so, for example, you can have, we call it properties defined in the model, and you can define how attributes from the database are being, ma- are being mapped to uh, properties in your model. So that's kind of a data mapper-ish, but that's, that's basically everything. Uh, in data mapper one, the resources, this is how we call model instances. Uh, so data mapper one resources know about persistence. So they are they are aware of the underlying database. Uh, so for example when you call when you fetch uh, I know a user instance, you would call user.save. Uh, so it basically knows about the database and it, it will do everything it's needed to, to be done in order to persist the data. So in in Ruby Object Mapper, which is a true data mapper, it's completely different because the objects that are loaded into memory are Ruby objects. Uh, don't know anything about persistence. They don't even know that they were fetched from the database. So that's the huge difference between the two patterns, between active record and data mapper, that in data mapper you have a layer of mappers that know about persistence and they know about the objects that they load from the database, but the objects themselves, the domain objects, don't know anything about persistence, and this is, uh, this is how we're, how we're gonna do it in, in, in uh, Ruby object mapper. So, so is, it, is this a totally new thing then, or is it Data Mapper three, uh, it's a new thing. Okay. Initially, initially we started working on basically the next version of Data Mapper. Uh, it was supposed to be version two point uh, So last year, year we were talking about releasing Data Mapper two, but eventually uh, we re- we realized that it's a completely new project. It's a new code base. It's a different pattern. It's just completely new. So to avoid any kind of confusion, uh, we decided to uh, just uh, come up with a new name and start a new project, which eventually turned out to be a really 
good idea because it gave us a lot of like fresh energy to to work on the project. So it was a good move from our point of view, at least. Can I take a, a, a like a tiny bit of credit for at least pushing you in that direction? Yeah, actually, I was going to say that. Uh, yeah, so at some point, yeah, we we got an email from Abdi at some point asking us w- what we think about coming up with a new name. So yeah, it, it actually started the the big discussion. Uh, it happened earlier earlier this year. Uh, so yeah, thanks, Abdi. <laughs> I think you came up with a great name. I love the. It's short. It's sweet. It's memorable. Yeah, um, and it's kind of, and it's kind of funny. And it, it stands people. for read-only memory, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. And the, the funny thing is that the first version uh, comes with uh, something called memory adapter. So it's like read-only memory, like for real. <laughs> so it's kind of funny. So talk to us about the different adapters, because I've, uh, I've been looking through the project, and it's interesting. It's broken down into uh, you know separate pieces for the... Uh, different concepts in it, and I definitely want to talk about some of those as we go, but kind of the big, crazy, smart back-end would be Axiom, right? Yeah, that's true. Uh, and Axiom has these different adapters, so can we talk about those? Uh, yeah, so it actually all started with Axiom. Uh, so uh, Dan Cobb started working on a library called, called Veritas, uh, and it was renamed uh, to Axiom this year. So Basically, Axiom is a relational algebra library, uh, kind of like ARL. However, it's much more powerful. And it's actually not just an SQL generator. It's actually uh, an abstraction for relational algebra in Ruby. So the reason why I then decided to build it is that when we were working on DataMapper 1, we also wanted to support different uh, kinds of databases and basically any kind of a da- data store. Uh, so in order to achieve that, we would have we'd have to create a lot of adapters with a lot of crazy complex logic in order to support things that some data store does not support. So, for example, we have uh, a YAML adapter for DataMapper 1, and obviously a YAML file doesn't support things like joins, right? So we would have to support that in, inside the DataMapper itself and, and do this uh, operation in memory. So... Axiom is basically a library that allows you to perform all those relational operations in uh, in memory. So if a given backend doesn't support something, we can just simulate that in uh, on the Axiom level. Uh, so that was the main motivation behind the project. So it's basically, you could say that, that it's actually like a brain of the entire project. It's like the very foundation of everything. And everything else is just a very simple uh layer on top of Axiom, uh, like extending its functionality or providing a more convenient interfaces. So in Axiom, we also also have uh, this idea of adapters. And an Axiom adapter is, is actually a very, very simple thing which can uh, use Axiom if a data store doesn't support something, some operation. But if it supports some operation, it will be pushed down to the, da- to the database. So, for example, if we have an adapter for an SQL database and we want to perform a join, the SQL Axiom adapter will just run the query, right? So the data will be uh, fetched from the database. But if it's an adapter for some other thing that doesn't support joins, it would just use Axiom to do the join inside memory. So that's, that's basically the idea behind Axiom and uh, its adapters. So you kind of reversed the problem, right? You basically implemented the general set of rules, joins and all that, and now you override them for the things that do support them to use the native way, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. It's really cool. Yeah, because uh, it was, like, like you said, it's like reverse. In, in DataMapper, uh, we started with basically supporting uh, SQL databases, and then we started building those adapters, and it turned out that, first of all, active record pattern is kind of limited, and also we don't have a solid foundation to actually support all kinds of databases. So that was the reason why Dan started working on Veritas, now called Axiom. Okay, so the thing I'm most excited about in ROM, if I understand it correctly, is that we can specify, basically it breaks the connection between the Ruby object tree and the 
database, right? If you use something like Active Record that ships with Rails, you're, you're, that pushes you toward a tight coupling between the database schema and your Ruby object tree, right? Because the, the, the classes and stuff kind of have to reflect the tables. And of course, you can introduce other objects and stuff, but the core of that data is, is pushed to look like the database. Whereas ROM takes the view of your Ruby objects are just your Ruby objects. You tell us how to map that to the database, and, and we'll do that. So, you know, maybe your object tree is one big object and that gets split out into multiple tables, or maybe it's, you know, a bunch of tiny objects, they get, they get saved in some other way or whatever, but the, the new thing is that there's a mapping between the Ruby layer and the database layer. Do I have that right? Uh, yeah, you got it perfectly, uh, perfectly right. Uh, All right, I'm going to move my microphone away from my mouth for a second. Yes, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Sorry, I just had to get it out there. <laughs> uh, yeah, so that's 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 correct. Uh, we basically define entire mapping on the mapping layer and the data that comes from the database is just like a very row set of tuples, we call them tuples, and those tuples are being loaded into Ruby objects the way you just defined it. So it's like completely separated. One thing that I think is funny about this is when I'm talking to people about Rails and uh, you want to just use a regular Ruby object, you know, there's the term the plain old Ruby object, and, and here the plain old Ruby object is, it could be persisted or not. And so it's just a Ruby object, which is so exciting to me because, you know, having that persistence tied so closely to, to things in active record is, is a, in a lot of cases really, really painful. I mean, sometimes you don't care, but sometimes when you're dealing with a concept that spans, like James said, multiple tables or, um, you know, some concept that you want to break down, but you really don't care about, you know, having a, a separate table for that particular concept that's part of a larger concept, you know, having that strict mapping that you have between an active record model and its table is, is it's kind of a pain. Yeah, exactly. Like the, this is one of the main reasons why, why people uh, switch from active record to data mapper. I mean, I'm talking about patterns right now because, uh, because basically active record is, is, you know, great and, and convenient to use and easy and then, you know, easy to, to uh, uh, learn and, and, and use. But eventually, uh, you, you will hit a problem where something that's represented in some way in the, da- in the database is not actually something that you want to have in, inside your domain. So, uh, having ability to, to map the representation on the, on the database level uh, to something else on the Ruby level is just fantastic. Uh, and that's why, why we're, we just want to implement the true data mapper and just abandon active record altogether. So there, there is a, a bit of a downside, like, I, I mean, I don't think it's big, but the, the downside is that now that mapping is no longer inferred, so you do have to specify the mapping, right? That's the, that's the trade-off. But I'm looking at the ROMRB uh, website, um, and the number two on there is great. It shows a mapping. You've got a normal Ruby object, and... You know, in order to set up that mapping from the database, it takes, you know, five-ish lines, roughly, to, you know, say where it's going, what's the model, uh, which fields are being mapped. So I guess we should just say that you you have to be more explicit about this goes to this, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. However, it, it's really important to, to mention that, first of all, it's very early version, and uh, we basically started with the foundation and we, we were working with some kind of a primitives inside the system. Uh, but eventually we will provide all sorts of convenient interfaces where you won't have to deal with lots of explicit uh, definitions. So, for example, uh, we can totally reflect schema using relational database. Uh, you don't really have to do that. I mean... You won't have to do that eventually. Uh, we could also use, for example, a model extended with Virtus uh, library and just take its attributes and 
use it as as mapping definition by default. So you can do a lot a lot of things that will simplify uh, usage of, of ROM. So I'm not specific specifically you know concerned uh, about uh, this problem that it's too verbose that it's too explicit because it's it's not going to be eventually. So we should remember about that. Now, I just want to say, you know, regarding that second object, option that you just mentioned where you take the, the schema as defined in the model is really, really nice. I really like that, that model because, you know, okay, it means you, you have to actually write out what attributes the, the model has in your class file, but then you get, the, you get a few benefits. You get the fact that you can just look at, you can look at the class and you can see exactly what attributes it has and what relationships it has without... You know, you don't have to go refer to the schema file to figure out what's available on it. You know, it's, so it's much more more revealing. But the other thing, and this is the reason, one of the biggest reasons that I usually use data map, the old data mapper, on most of my product projects, is auto migrations. I mean, it is so ni- much nicer to just have my models say, you know, be the golden the the golden rule about what what attributes exist and what columns should exist. And then anytime I change them, I just run rake I just yeah, run auto migrate and the database is updated, you know, to reflect what the models have. And, you know, early in development when the models are changing fast and I don't have a and I don't have any precious data, it's so much faster than generating migrations and fiddling with migrations. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Uh, auto migrations is, is is a nice feature in DM one. We we definitely want to build some kind of a migration library for ROM, uh, but it's 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 not a big priority this year at least. However, we we definitely want to push it even you know more forward versus what we have in in the in, in mapper one. Uh, so yeah, this is very convenient when when you can just use information from model and and just da- generate a database schema. So this is something we will build uh, eventually, but it's not a huge priority right now. But yeah, that's a lovely feature. We should probably mention, since we're kind of forcing you to talk about some some coming things, uh, ROM just did one one zero, right? But you chose kind of a early release with, uh, you know, not everything's in there yet. Uh, it's basically just the core functionality. You've talked about how, you know, uh, we can still make schema declaration more automatic. We can still add migrations, etc., and then you chose to basically release early, release often, it sounds like. Can you talk a little about that? Uh, yeah, so the the reason behind the release is that we got something working. Uh, it's it's definitely not feature-rich, uh, and definitely not production-ready, but people can just, you know, play with it, experiment with it, and provide us feedback. So this is really important for us right now. I should probably mention that we already had a prototype of Data Mapper to last year, like exactly a year ago, but we didn't release it because eventually we realized that we don't like uh, the design of what we created. Uh, so we ditched it, like completely removed it, uh, like stretch everything and then start from, from, from the beginning. So one of the mistakes that we did when, when building a DM2 prototype was that we tackled too many problems at the same time like we really wanted to uh have the same level of functionality as data map one had so it was just too much and we ended up with a very weird code base and a lot of weird things weird abstractions so we decided to drop it and start just with something simple and this is what happened with rom we just started with something very basic something that gives you very uh fundamental uh, very uh basic functionality and just push it, just release it right away and see what happens. So once it's released, it's also much easier to uh, work on it because some foundation is, is ready and we can just continue with the development. And we are also receiving feedback so we can prioritize things. So this, this is really a huge difference uh, versus what happened with Data Mapper 2, which was in the works all the time and we never actually released it. So right now we we released something very basic, but we will keep on uh, pushing new releases pretty often. So this is this is a huge change for us. I think that's awesome. I think it's really great. Like I wish more people would do that. Right? We always 
have to keep polishing and gold plating, you know, before we feel like it's ready for the world. Oh, we need this one more feature, and it makes the feedback loop so large. So I think it's a great move. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of, yeah, it's kind of tough with a with a library like this because there's there really is with this pattern there is a lot that goes on kind of under the covers. I mean, you know, the whole relational algebra engine is a that's a lot of logic, but it's not very sort of obvious logic. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Uh, yeah, and, and especially that Axiom was developed for about a couple of years, I think. Uh, so we also wanted to have people actually start using it so we can be sure that it's going into correct di- direction. So yeah, with the thing released, it's, it's just mu- much easier to uh, work on it. You know, we have to just mention how kind of data mapper is a much more complex pattern than uh, than active record. There's a lot more going on. Uh, but when we actually read uh, Martin's book, Patterns of Enterprise Application Architecture, the whole time I was reading it, I was seeing things like unity of uh, sorry unit of work and uh, identity map, and I'm thinking, wow, where's this great stuff? And um, and if you look into the Rails version of active record, it's like Unit of work, yeah, that concept doesn't really exist there. And identity map, yeah, they sort of put it in for a while, hated it, and, and uh, you know, I, I think now maybe they're actually removing it. Anyways, so, or it's been removed or something. So, you know, there's all these other interesting ideas in there that are meant to work together with all of this. And one of the things that got me super pumped up about looking at ROM was here's those ideas. I mean, one of the major pieces of uh, the current uh, ROM is ROM session, uh, which is basically the unit of work right out of uh, that book, and it also includes an identity map, right? Uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, we used a lot of uh, patterns from Martin Fowler's book, so we're kind of closely following those ideas. Uh, when working on ROM, uh, but the session is is uh, is probably the most immature element of ROM because uh, we build it like this year only, <laughs> which is three months ago. So uh, session right now is 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 more of a state tracker that basically builds a queue with all the operations that should be executed when you flash the session, but the actual unit of work is not not ready yet. Uh, I have a prototype of unit of work uh, that I will plug into the uh, to the ROM session soon. But right now, session is is, is pretty pretty straightforward. Uh, there is identity map, uh, so there's some, that's something. So the difference between uh, ROM session and uh, using just just ROM relations is that when you're using a session, it basically waits with everything it needs to uh, execute until you flush it. So if you're using plain ROM relations without session, once you insert something, it's going to be inserted right away. If you're using session, it will just create the entire history of all the state changes that you did inside memory. And when you flush it, it will just execute execute everything in the same order that you actually added added it. So with unit of work is going to be different because unit of work will use some kind of a mechanism to uh, t-sort all the operations using the dependencies between those operations. So for instance, if you have, uh, I don't know, some kind of a parent object with children, if you decide to uh, save children, it will figure out that there's a parent that needs to be saved before saving children. And when it's, when it's, saves the parent, it will also know that there's a foreign key that needs to be set on the, on the, on all those children. So it's going to be a pretty complex beast to uh, implement. However, that's, that's the idea behind unit of work. Yet it, it basically resolves the, resolves the dependencies and executes everything in correct order. So that's the missing piece actually right now. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. I just think it's cool that, you know, we're not just getting uh, data mapper here. We're getting all the goodness, you know, designed to go with that, which seems really great. Yeah, uh, the the ROM relation is is actually pretty straightforward. It's it's just like a wrapper on top on top of Axiom. Uh, it basically allows you to work with uh, Ruby objects instead of those real tuple data uh, that Axiom gives you. 
so yeah, and this is this is also uh, the mapping part actually. So yeah, and it's a separate part. So Realm Session is a separate project, and Realm Relation is also a separate project. And there's also Realm Mapper, uh, which is our default implementation of mappers. Uh, but you can you can totally write your own mappers if you want. That's one thing that I did notice is that it's all broken out into uh, different modules, and so. I really like that as well. I mean, if I needed to do something a little bit different, then I can plug something else in. Yeah, this is this is also one of our main motivations, so that ROM won't, you know, uh, block you when you don't like something. Uh, it should be really easy to replace each of the pieces. So we're really focused on how we design our interfaces and how things work together, uh, so that the interfaces are just very simple. Like if you if you if you need a custom mapper, it's it's just basically an object that responds to three methods to get the basic functionality, obviously. So if you have some kind of a edge case where default mappers don't really work for you, you can you can just write your own mapper and inject it easily uh, into ROM relation, and it's very simple. That does lead me to one question. It, it goes back to Axiom, though, as opposed to uh, ROM itself. And that is is that it looks like the main focus right now is on uh, SQL-based servers. So you have the different uh, dialects between MySQL, Postgres, and all of those. And it says in there that you know work is being done for it to work with uh, databases other than Postgres. But I'm kind of curious about things like uh, the NoSQL families. Will Axiom work with those as well? It just in the sense that it would, for example, generate the the query JavaScript for uh, MongoDB as opposed to SQL? Currently, we have uh, a MongoDB adapter, so it's possible to use Axiom with no SQL databases, but I suspect that quite often you will have to extend Axiom with some custom functionality that is required by a given database. Uh, but Axiom is, is designed in a way that allows you to extend it. So our main focus is... is uh, SQL, our SQL databases, obviously, we are starting with it, but we will definitely make sure that it's still possible to use Axiom with other databases. Uh, and this is the reason why we already started building uh, other adapters. So as I said, we already have a prototype of a MongoDB adapter. Uh, there's also an adapter for Elasticsearch and a database called ArangoDB, which is an OSQL database as well. Yeah, I could see eventually having... Uh... The cool thing about the mappers is you can have, you know, your Ruby object tree all constructed and then send, you know, most of it to Postgres or whatever, but then have that mapper in there that sends parts of it to, like, Redis or something, right? Yeah, yeah. One of the cool things uh, about Axiom is that you can work with many different databases at the same time. Uh, so, for example, you could have two relations coming from two different databases and join them together and actually right into that joint relation and Axiom will distribute the rights to the correct databases. So that's pretty pretty neat. That's actually really exciting. I've used, I've played with using the MongoDB example again. I've used MongoMapper and Mongoid. Um, and both of them, the, the thing is, is their interfaces are usually pretty similar to something that you're familiar with, Active Record or something else, but they're not the same. And uh, so that's one thing that really excites me is the fact that I just have one interface to deal with to persist data. Yeah, that's like the main goal of the project to have uh, a unified interface for all sorts of databases. But but as I said, uh, we will definitely have some custom extensions uh, inside adapters for various databases in order to to basically use the native features of databases because. We, we really want to support native features of databases. It's not like we want to hide databases from you and say that they don't exist or whatever. So we really want to push as, as much as possible to the underlying database. It's especially important in SQL databases, like using constraints, using check constraints uh, for validation, all, all sorts of uh, native features that are basically much more reliable than Ruby itself. We should probably mention we've talked a lot about that. Uh, the various pieces, uh, ROM session, ROM relation, mapper, and stuff. Um, there's now a GitHub account for ROM RB, ROM RB, and you can find all the uh, various pieces there. So that's kind of a nice uh, central place to start looking around. 
taking the discussion in kind of a slightly different direction, in addition to all those pieces you've made that are under the realm RB that we've been talking heavily about, um, session and stuff, you've made a lot of other little projects. And like when I was looking into ROM, I just went and looked at the dependencies on the gems and started walking through those dependencies. And a lot of them are, are simple little projects useful outside of, you know, ROM uh, itself, uh, just useful in a more general sense. Uh, so I'm thinking of, like, Concord and Equalizer and Adamantium, uh, which help do, you know, uh, help just build simple Ruby objects and stuff. Is that all just kind of come out of what you've needed as you're building the project? Because there's some cool libraries in there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. This is this is basically like the, the outcome of all the development efforts while building uh, DM2 and, and now Realm. Uh, so we really want to promote building small libraries. Uh, we're, we're not big fans of things like active support, for example. Uh, so rather than having a huge support library, which would, we would need anyway, uh, we decided to just split things into smaller pieces that you can use in your own projects that not necessarily have anything to do with ROM. So we created a bunch of small libraries uh, that we use in, in, in basically all of our projects. Uh, and right now they are mo- mostly like helper libraries that basically remove a lot of the boiler pl- boilerplate code. And also we were using this thing called Adamantium, uh, which helps us uh, building our objects uh, that are not mutable by basically freezing them. Mm, I thought adamantium would allow you to shoot uh, knives out of your fist. <laughs> <laughs> what are some of these other projects? Equalizer? Equalizer oh. does the... Um, the actually, this came up in a discussion we had recently. Remember in... Um, was the episode with Tom Stewart where the code in the book is a little weird because basically everything inherits from struct. And when when you look at his major reasons for doing that, one of them is to get a reasonable equals method everywhere. <laughs> That's what Equalizer does. You can mix it into your object, and it defines a reasonable equals method or, or in hash and other comparisons. Yeah, it also adds inspect method. Nice. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna use it, and then I'm gonna tell people how smart I am for using it. <laughs> It's pretty cool stuff. I, I, a lot of them are really cool. And then another library we've mentioned uh, on the show before is Virtus. Do you want to talk a little about that, Peter? Uh, yeah, so, so Virtus was actually the first uh, so-called data mapper to piece that uh, I started working on. Uh, so the idea initially was to basically come up with the same interface as property uh, API in data mapper 1. But we wanted to have uh, have that interface available in plain Ruby objects. Uh, so I basically extracted entire property API from Data Mapper One and just put it into a standalone standalone library, and it's called Virtus. So that's how it started. Uh, but eventually, it turned into a pretty uh, powerful library. It basically allows you to define attributes that also support uh, coercion. And you can also use some more advanced features like uh, using embedded values or embedded collections. Uh, so when you included when you include Virtus inside your model, you can initialize the instance uh, by passing a hash with attributes, and those attributes will be uh, coerced into correct types. And this also includes embedded other uh, Virtus objects. Uh, you can also use it with OpenStruct or Struct if you want. So uh, Virtus is is, is Already pretty pretty stable library. I'm I'm currently working on its uh, final 1.0 version. One of the things that I did recently uh, was extracting entire coercion logic from Virtus into a gem called Coercible. Uh, so this is also, you know, following our philosophy uh, with uh, small focused libraries. So I basically uh, removed a lot of code from Virtus and just put it into a small library that you can use whenever you want to use coercions. So another thing that we're doing uh, is integrating Virtus with a a library called Axiom Types. And this is another small library (laughs) extracted from Axiom, uh, which gives you just a bunch of uh, 
data types that you can define uh, along with some extra constraints. Like for example, you have you can have an integer or a string and provide I know minimum minimum length or things like that. Uh, so I'm basically integrating virtues with accent types, which will allow me to just remove a lot of code from virtues. So yeah, virtues started as as part of DM2, but it's really a standalone library. It's it's it has nothing to do with 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 ROM in terms of dependencies. It's just it's just a small library that you can use uh, uh, for all sorts of use cases. I think that people in most of the cases are using virtues for uh, form objects. Uh, for for parsing and sanitizing uh, user input coming from from web forms and things like that, so this is a pretty common uh, common pattern for Virtus. Uh, I also think uh, I also remember that uh, some people are using Virtus to prototype models, uh, so that's one of the use cases for Virtus as well. But yeah, as I said, it started as as, as a piece of data mapper tool, but eventually it's 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 just a standalone library, uh, completely like separated from from uh, ROM li- ROM libraries. Uh, however, I do I do plan to uh, build some kind of an integration between Virtus and ROM. Uh, I think I already mentioned uh, that we could, for example, use a Virtus object and use its attributes to automatically generate mapping. Uh, for ROM, so that's something that will simplify uh, usage of ROM. It's very cool. I mean, you've basically built up this entire ecosystem of of useful tools, you know, that uh, can be mixed and matched, and they, you know, it seems like you can take a little of this, a little of that, and can help you into straight Ruby, or you can move, you know, into database with ROM and stuff, so... I just think it's kind of need this uh, ecosystem of tools you're building up. Yeah, I, I, I actually really like that you use the word ecosystem because we're doing exactly that. We want to build a huge ecosystem with a lot of small libraries that, that you can use whenever you need a small piece of functionality. Uh, we, we really don't want to provide any kind of a huge monolithic libraries because, uh, you know, that, that's that's something really weird for me that Whenever people see a library that comes with a bunch of dependencies, they're like, oh, wow, this is so complicated. Look at all those dependencies, right? But when you install just one library, you're like, oh, this is a lightweight library. It has no dependencies. <laughs> but it comes with like one million lines of code. So cool. how lightweight is that, right? So, you know, this is our philosophy. We like small libraries. Uh, it's also much easier to develop a small library. It's way much easier to develop a small library versus things like, I know, uh, even DM1, which was split into smaller pieces, DM Core, the core, core uh, library of DataMapper1 is still a pretty huge project, even though it's called DM Core. So, yeah, we are really focused on building small libraries. I think it's it's just much easier to maintain them. And, and another, another benefit is that once something is done, it's done, and it's not going to change for quite a lot of time. Uh, so, yeah. This is, this is basically uh, something we prefer to do. So I got a question here. I'm looking at your uh, example on rom-rbe.org. Um, it, it sets up the ROM environment to use a memory mapping or memory to uh, to store the objects. How, how, how exactly does that work? Yeah, so this is like the very basic adapter that doesn't give you much actually. Uh I mean, it gives you a lot, but you can't really use it in anything real because it's just an in-memory store. So uh, you cannot persist the data uh, in in any way. I mean, you could, for example, dump the data into a YAML file or something like that. But we decided to build the memory adapter as a, kind of a basic reference adapter uh, where we could experiment with various interfaces. So the thing about Axiom memory adapter is that we can actually build ROM at all the features that we need and just test it against the memory adapter because Axiom basic, basically uh, guarantees that it's going to work with other adapters. So this is w- what I meant by saying that ROM release is very early because it only comes with the in-memory adapter. And if you want to use it, you should actually build your own adapter that does something real. However, it's, 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 it's still pretty cool because we can... Uh, we can continue working on ROM, adding all the missing features, like I know session with unit of work, for example, and just use the memory adapter. 
Have you considered doing something like uh, using the memory adapter for in-memory caching or things like that? Not yet, to be honest. Uh, At least I I didn't think about it yet. One of the things that I really liked about DM1 was that when I did go to create an adapter, I found that there were basically four methods that I needed to write in order to create an adapter, and they were create, read, update, and delete. Um, How am I ever going to remember those? (laughs) And if you, you implemented those four, you had, you had yourself an adapter. Are you trying to, uh, to make creating an adapter similarly simple with, with ROM? Yeah, yeah, that's, that's the plan. Uh, we still haven't come up with uh, like the final uh, interface for, for adapters, uh, but it's going to be as easy as, as in case uh, of the M1. Actually, it's going to be even, even, even uh, simpler because... In Data Mapper 1, whenever you, you wanted to support some native features, uh, uh, I'm sorry, whenever you had to support uh, something that your database doesn't support, you would have to do it on your own. And right now with Axiom, it's all supported, uh, you know, out of the box in memory. So actually the simplest thing that you need to do in order to, to, to build an in-memory adapter is to implement each method. So that's like the simplest thing if you want just to read data. So what you're basically saying, if I understand correctly, is assuming I wanted to write the Redis adapter, I would teach it how to write and save to Redis. And then things like joins would just work because they're provided by Axiom. Yeah, exactly. That's crazy cool. Yeah, that's that's definitely crazy cool. And whenever you need something uh, that's natively supported by your database... You will probably have some kind of a driver that gives you that, so it's also going to be easy. Like, for example, MongoDB adapter, it's using MongoDB driver, which provides you with lots of uh, functionality that is a native functionality in MongoDB, so you still don't have to do a lot of work in order to support native features of of a database, right? So that's one thing that's kind of interesting, then, if let's say that you just have to implement, you know, you said two or three um, methods, in your adapter in order for it to work with Axiom. So how do you make it work with all of these other features? For example, in Postgres, let's say you wanted to save some attributes as JSON and some attributes as just regular column fields. You know, How do you tell it to handle that? You can uh, add custom attributes to Axiom itself. You could also uh, define some special mappings on the ROM level uh, and basically have the data dumped to a form that a database driver can digest. So that's basically uh, also related to mapping how things are being mapped from database to Ruby objects and um, the other way around. That's awesome. And then one other thing I'm looking at here, um, it looks like most of the attributes, are they stored in their own little attributes um, spot or are they instance variables generally? It looks like they're instance variables here. And I know in Active Record it is generally pulling them out of an attributes hash or something that looks or acts like a hash. Uh, are you asking about uh, ROM objects, like the, your domain objects or the yeah. memory? Yeah, your, your uh, objects, yeah. Yeah, so it's currently handled by ROM, ROM Mapper, and it's, and it's pretty easy. Uh, we actually have three strategies for loading, loading objects from, uh, from database, or I should say from Axiom, basically, from, from the Axiom layer. Uh, so you could have an object that implements a constructor that accepts uh, a hash with attributes, uh, or we could also uh, allocate uh, the instance without calling the constructor and just write into its uh, instance variables. So that's and yeah, eventually you have an object with uh, with instance variables. Oh, I see. Yeah, I'm looking at the example on the ROM main website in the second setup mapping. And yeah, it looks like you have some attribute readers. So can you map any any method that's defined on the instance? Uh, right now, the object will be uh, instantiated with the attribute hash or it will use the attributes defined in the mapping uh, to write to the instance variables. So... But it's, it's, I think I think Chuck was asking there about uh, going the other way. When we're going from Ruby land yeah. to database land, can we just map anything that's a method, basically? Oh uh, yeah, sure. Yeah, that's that's totally possible. Yeah. So yeah, that's what's so awesome about it, right? On um, both of those sides, it's that 
when you get up to Ruby, it's just a Ruby object. It's just an object, right? Mm -hmm. the, the trick is that there's this mapper in the middle, you know, translating from the database and moving them into these objects using different strategies like Peter covered. But, you know, it, it's making these objects. But when you're done, you're just playing with objects. It's pretty cool stuff. Yeah, and you can fold them around however you want, and then you just tell the mapping what you're interested in, which is really exciting. Right, so if you have, like, auto-generated fields that only matter while the object's up in memory or whatever, just don't map those back to the database, and you're good, right? Yep, exactly. Really cool stuff. I think, I think it's very interesting. So I have seen one big thing missing. Maybe we should talk about that. Um, looking at all the pieces and stuff and what's there, what's coming, or all that, the thing I've seen absolutely zero mention of is validations. Can we talk about that? Uh, yeah, sure. So uh, we actually started working on a project called, oh, I forget what it's called right now. <laughs> However, it, it started as an extraction from Data Mapper uh, 1. Uh, so we, ba we basically took a validation library and, and refactored it. Uh, so it's a standalone val validation library that you can use with, with plain Ruby objects. And I'm not exactly sure how we're going to integrate it with ROM itself uh, yet. Uh, but I suspect, like, one of the things that we want to promote is, is actually using using farm objects. I mean, when, you're, when we're talking about web web development and building things like Rails apps, personally, I would, I would rather use uh, some kind of a dedicated object that deals with a specific input in a specific context instead of having some global validations that are being run everywhere uh, in all sorts of contexts. So, for instance, you could, you could, you could have a form object with, for example, Virtus uh, that will basically act like a, something that's called in Active Record uh, attribute accessible, right? I mean, it was moved to strong parameters recently. So you could, you could have that inside your form object that will basically uh, reject uh, entire input that is not known and then you could have validations on that object. So once once you instantiate it, your actual domain object, it will be valid uh, because the only valid data will be passed down to the to, to the actual uh, domain object. So this is how we basically imagine uh, validations uh, with ROM. So basically, like a separate layer on top of uh, on top of ROM objects. I really like the idea of a separate layer. I often find myself wanting validations somewhere where I'm not uh, active recordish or even just not yet. Like in my current project that I'm working on, we have one model that's particularly expan uh, expensive to uh, instantiate uh, into the database because it's uh, very complicated and, and we have to look up a lot of stuff and things like that. So um, we handle it as a background worker. You know, we take in the request, okay, we got what you want, and then just queue it to a background worker to build the object that we need. But in order to do that, we want to make sure that the thing we took in is okay before we tell them, yeah, okay, we got it, we'll get to it, you know. Uh, so we need that validations. And so in the active record world, it's kind of weird because we basically build the active record object, ask if it's valid, you know, it is, then, okay, then we take all the attributes out of that, queue them to the background worker, which basically ends up building the active record object and actually doing the same, right? Which is kind of weird and, and stuff. It's that, that validation is like you say, it's not... We don't want to use it with the persistence right now. We just want to know if this set of data is valid, right? Corey Haynes and I have actually talked about that one time. We were uh, sitting in a restaurant in Hawaii, I think, and, and just having a conversation about it. And he, he had mentioned that he had experimented with the idea of validations as a service, basically, as like a service object, you know, where I can hand it this data and say, hey, is this okay, you know, or something like that. And I, I think what we're talking about here, about it just being a, a separate thing, that, that sounds really appealing to me. Yeah, I, I really like your story. I mean, it, it clearly shows that the active record approach can be quite confusing and, and difficult to, to manage. Uh, and, and also something worth mentioning is that basically dealing with uh, some unknown input so close to the persistence like it happens with active record is just dangerous. So encouraging people to do things like, uh, hey, you can do user.create params user, right? Uh, I mean, it's so insecure. We should 
just have a separate layer that would just digest all that input and make it, you know, uh, secure. Right. You want to check input right when it comes into the system and then not worry about it anywhere else, right? So, mm -hmm. which is what you were talking about with uh, form objects. You know, that yeah. seems like that seems like uh, their domain. You know, the the data comes in from the form populate some kind of form object and we say, yep, this is good, or, you know, thumbs up, thumbs down, basically. Yeah, exactly. And it's, it's also easier to manage uh, validation context because, in my opinion, validations are always contextual. It's not like you always have the same context of, of a validation. You can have a validation for, a form, for, for data coming from a web form, or you can have validation of uh, some kind of an input sent by some, I don't know, client application that sent a request to your application, right? So it's always contextual. I mean, sure, there are a lot of common things between those validation contexts, but still, those are separate contexts. So it's just better to, to handle them separately. That's an excellent point. I mean, like, if you have the form on the user-facing interface, then there's what the user can do. But if I have the form in the at admin interface, then I should be able to tweak a lot more that they can't touch, right? Yep. Yep. That's a cool thing. One other question I had is I've often wanted, you know, AngelBreaker kind of takes uh, MySQL as uh, what I would say is the canonical representation and then kind of frames everything in terms of that. Um, but AngelBreaker more so seems to take the view of, like, lowest common denominator, right? Like, these are things that all the SQL databases do, uh, and that's, you know, so that's primarily our focus. And I, I realize there's some exceptions, but... And uh, Aaron Patterson has actually been doing a lot of work to sneak in, like, Postgres niceties lately, which is really cool, I think. Uh, but uh, I, I want, you know, I, I've often wanted an ORM that just said, all right, Postgres, we're going all the way down the rabbit hole, as many features as we can grab, you know, because there's a lot of cool stuff in there that just has no support in, like, these layers. And how is ROM going to address or deal with that, or is it? Uh, so, yeah, as I mentioned, we, we definitely want to support native features of, of various databases. I'm, I'm not exactly sure how it's going to be done, because uh, that's basically Axiom-related stuff, and, and unfortunately I didn't commit anything to Axiom yet. Uh, so, uh, I, I just don't know how it's, how, it, how exactly it's going to be built. Uh, but definitely one of the most, you know, important things for us is to, uh, truly support databases and their native features. That's cool. That was, I mean, there's just so many neat features in there. One time I had to, uh, do this horrible, like, kind of, uh, I guess it's, a uh, data transform where I had to put it into a different format and it was complex to build up the format and stuff and then I wanted to just cache it somewhere and I tried to do it uh, using a, uh, a SQL database but it's so complex to build up and I had to do so many queries back and forth as I did it that it was it was just horribly complicated and slow and um, I switched to using uh, SQLite and I made an in-memory in SQLite database and then did it that way uh, which was plenty fast enough and easy to manipulate. And then when I was all done, I just took a, a snapshot of that database, which is something SQLite can do, uh, and stuck it on disk, and boom, fully hydrated database, you know? And it's just like sometimes those those uh, database-specific features are really cool and can allow you to do some pretty powerful stuff. Yeah, that's true. And, and unfortunately, in, in, in Ruby community, I mean, it's changing, but... For quite some time, people actually didn't use very basic features like constraints in databases. It's changing. I mean, I've I've noticed that, that people are actually uh, starting to to uh, use certain certain features. The good example is uh, uh, uniqueness val validation. Like a lot of people used to just rely on the Ruby validation of uh, some unique field, right? Uh, but then we obviously had issues. Uh, so people learned that you, sh you should actually use. Uh, native features of your database, so just like don't treat it as some kind of a stupid uh, data store because it's a pretty powerful uh, database engine after all, right? Exactly. Yeah. All right. So I'm I'm a little curious. What features that are coming up that aren't in there yet are you most excited about? 
I'm personally, I'm 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 really excited to to uh, work on session and you need to work because it's going to be very challenging and it's something like completely new. At least I haven't seen anything like that in Ruby. Uh, so this is something I I want to uh, add as soon as possible. But yeah. our focus is uh, on SQL right now. Uh, so we, uh, we we decided to to focus on SQL uh, generator and integration with Axiom itself um, because uh, right now we're we're uh, working again on a new small library called SQL and this library is basically a pure SQL generator uh, coming with its own AST. So uh, once that's done, uh, we're going to integrate it with Axiom. Uh, and there are also some missing features in Axiom itself. For example, it doesn't support uh, server-generated keys. Uh, for, this is like uh, things like uh, auto-increment uh, in integer fields, right? So we don't support that. Uh, right now, if you want to use ROM and you want to save something, you need to provide the key. Uh, another, another thing is uh, support for, for relationships. And this is also something I'm very excited about. Uh, so one thing that's going to be added to Axiom is um, support for uh, nesting and unnesting uh, data tuples. So uh, when we log data that comes from, for example, for example, from a join uh, query, uh, Axiom will send it uh, to ROM uh, as as a data tuple with nested tuples. So basically, uh, we could load the data uh, in the same way using mappers. Uh, in the same way uh, for relational databases as well as in case of any database that supports embedded objects, like for example MongoDB, uh, where you can have, for example, a user uh, with an embedded address. So Axiom will uh, send the data in the same way uh, to uh, to ROM uh, uh, in both cases. So uh, even if it's if it's if it's a join. So yeah, this is called nesting and unnesting uh, data tuples, and this is going to be. Uh, a pretty exciting feature because we we just needed to build relationship support in Rome. Nice, very nice. Well, do you guys have any other questions before we get to the picks? I got one last one. Tell me how to get mutant powers. Oh right, I almost forgot about it actually. <laughs> uh, yeah, so uh, something that uh, then uh, started doing a while building. Uh, Axiom uh, was uh, something called mutation testing. Uh, so initially, he was using a tool called Heckle, uh, which gives you uh, some basic uh, mutation testing functionality. Uh, and the concept of mutation testing is that you have a tool that changes your code at runtime, runs your tests, and if your tests don't fail, then you have a problem. So basically, it expects that your test will fail if the code was changed. So uh, we initially used Heckle for that, uh, but it turned out is it's uh, not very flexible, and it required a lot of extra work in the uh, when writing tests. So we started looking for for alternatives, and we found Mutant, uh, which is a new tool. Uh, it's right. It's uh, right now. It's maintained by uh, Marcus, one of our core team members. Uh, he basically rewrote the tool uh, last year because initially it was only running on Rubinius, and right now it runs on uh, MRI as well. So Mutant basically uh, gives you mutation testing. So as I said, you run it, and it changes your code, and it then runs runs your test. And if your tests fail, uh, then it means you don't have uh, mutation uh, coverage. So this is what we're doing uh, when building ROM, and it's super exciting. It's it's basically uh, a practice that that really helps you in building super super focused tests that actually test things that should be tested. Uh, and it also it, it's also a great uh, metric tool, uh, which is far better than uh, line coverage tools. So something that we do is that we have a set of rake tasks uh, that we run uh, on master branches. Uh, on Travis, and one of the tasks uh, is using mutant to run all the mutations against a given library uh, and see if if all the all the mutations are killed. That's so cool. yeah, that's that's basically mutant. Awesome. Cool. Again, just kind of, I'm overall just impressed with this kind of 
you know, ecosystem that you guys are building up. And I think I, I'm going to start dipping, dipping into the water more and trying these pieces outside of, of things and just kind of get used to the whole thing and, and see how much of it I can use. Cause it's pretty cool stuff. Yeah. I'm excited yeah. to play with it too. Yeah. Mutant will be released. Uh, I mean, it's already re- released, but we're having, we're working on a new version, uh, 0.0.3 and it's going to be ready really soon. So really check it out. It's, it's pretty, it's pretty cool. Awesome. All right. Well, let's, let's go ahead and do the picks. James, do you want to start us off? Sure. As I said last week, I've kind of working my way through a whole bunch of picks that I've found recently. And this week, it's blog post time. Uh, cool blog posts I've seen lately. Here's one from Nathan Conti called Tracer Bullets. Uh, and this is cool because I use this trick all the time. And this is the first time I've uh, seen uh, any writing about it. And there's actually a gem to go with it. But... Uh, basically, the trick is just to, uh, I, I just grab a timestamp somewhere, and then I, as I'm running along, I'll just periodically output how much time has passed since that timestamp. So <laughs> my coworkers find it strange because I output these outputs, and they're always, you know, increasing. And, and so instead of saying I spent X amount of time here, or X amount of time there, you know, it's, it's just uh, now I've spent this much time, now I've spent this much more time, you know. Uh, kind of thing, but uh, it really helps. Uh, it, I like the title he came up with, Tracer Bullets, of like uh, just being able to find, uh, wait, why did we have this huge jump over here? Uh, what What's going on in there? And then you can narrow it down. It's often easier than having to wrap sections in a start and stop so you can figure out the time and stuff. It's really easy when you're doing like... Um, uh, command line stuff because uh, you know some line on the command line to test something out so you can just grab that timestamp at the beginning and then subtract from a current timestamp whenever you want. Uh, so that's a cool trick. I like the blog post. Another blog post I found from Ryan Big is uh, Bundler Local Pads and I have no idea how I did not know this feature exists. Uh, Avdi knows because I see him in the comments so I'm really mad at him for not telling me. Uh, but, uh, this is a great feature. It's, um, if you have a project pointed in your gem file at GitHub and, but you have a local checkout, say, cause you're making changes to that project, you don't have to push up to GitHub and then fix the ref. Instead, you can just twiddle this bundler config, uh, and tell bundler, oh, by the way, I have a local copy of this project and here's the folder it's in. And then when you bundle, it'll just use your local copy. Uh, so that's really awesome for when you're uh, fiddling with another project that's a dependency of your project. And then uh, in Postgres, uh, we talked today about how I love all the native features of Postgres. Uh, here's another cool one I don't see talked about too much, which is L-Tree. Uh, lets you do hierarchical structures. So, uh, you know, if you have something like comments and and people are replying to comments or whatever, it forms this kind of tree structure, uh, and this uh, extension for Postgres called L-Tree can handle that for you. Uh, it's pretty awesome stuff, and this shows you how to how it works and uh, how to use it. It's a good blog post. And then finally, the uh, not-to-miss blog post, um, this time from Ernie Miller. Uh, he recently uh, was uh, unemployed, and uh, he talked a lot about uh, what he wants from his next job and, and what he's looking for and stuff. Um, I, the uh, joke I made at the start of the show, uh, want to program wet and naked, that comes from this article. Uh, and it's really great stuff. Ernie's just a classic, great guy who goes around telling us why we should be happy all the time and uh, just really infectious attitude. So uh, it's a great blog post. You should go check it out. That's all I got. All right, Avdi, what are your picks? Um, I'll pick a blog post, too. There's a blog post called The Church of Interruption. Well, actually, I don't know if it's a blog post. I think it might just be an article that somebody put up. But um, it's called The Church of, In- of Interruption. It's about human communication, and it's really good. Uh, I will also pick a game. I the only Pretty much the only gaming I do anymore is on my mobile devices, and I started playing Asphalt 8 recently. I've played a number of the Asphalt games because I like racing games, casual racing games, and I've been really impressed with Asphalt 8. It is 
<clears throat> I think the first time that I felt like I was having the burnout experience on my phone, um, and, and burnout for me is like the, you know, top arcade racing game. So yeah, really fun. Very heavily into the whole, like, try to get as much money out of you as you can philosophy of, you know, pay for, offers you lots of opportunities to pay for new cars and stuff like that. But you can ignore all that and just have a lot of fun racing. Awesome. All right, I've got a couple of picks. Um, One is a blog post. It is the Holy Grail of Um, e-commerce. It's a 91-point checklist for e-commerce. So if you're uh, building a product... Um, it's worth at least looking through these and seeing which ones you're doing and not doing and which ones you're doing well and not doing well. And, uh, I've, I've been enjoying it so far. It's really long, so I haven't finished it yet, but, uh, so far so good. I also have been working on this, uh, feed app that is supposed to fix all of our feed problems. And, uh, I, I, uh, needed a background job, but what I needed was I needed something where I could say, run this job at this time and just, you know, run one-off jobs. And so uh, I'm using Rescue, and I'm using Rescue Scheduler. And the scheduler actually allows you to say, um, in queue at this time, and then do this job with this uh, with these arguments. And it's awesome. So really, really happy with that. And uh, we'll throw it over to Peter. Peter, what are your picks? Yeah, so I, I had two, but now I have one. Uh, so <laughs> my first pick was Ernie Miller's uh, blog post, but yeah. <laughs> James, it's a great uh, blog post, isn't it? It's, it's absolutely great. And the the part about coding wet is just, yeah, I can relate. It's awesome. Uh, next, week, next week we're going to be podcasting wet naked. <laughs> <laughs> and if uh, you need an employee, go hire Ernie Miller, for goodness sake. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, so my, my pick uh, is, uh, is 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 an app. It's called Kalka. It's uh, Kalka.io. Uh, it's it's basically a pretty cool uh, doc- document editor. Uh, it's kind of a hybrid between a text editor, a spreadsheet, and a functional programming language. Uh, so basically, you can create documents with it, and you can use it's tiny little functional language, like you can define variables, you can define functions, and I found it to be really, really cool for things like uh, calculating uh, some financial stuff uh, for uh, my private budget as well as, as, as my company's budget, so it's it's really cool. For me, it's, it's much better than using just, just a spreadsheet. So uh, it's, it's an online app, and also uh, there's an OSX app and an iOS app. I don't think they have uh, support for all the other platforms, unfortunately. And yeah, that's that's everything I have. Awesome. All right. Well, um, looks like we're going to wrap the show up then. Thanks for coming, Peter. Thanks. Thanks. I'm um, super super happy that you invited me. Well, it's it, it's been a fun talk, and I'm really excited to see where uh, Rom goes. I do want to remind everybody about our book club. So we're going to be we're reading uh, Confident Ruby by Avdi Grimm. So uh, yeah, anyway, so it'll be in October. We're going to be reading that book. So pick it up and uh, read it. And uh, was there a discount code, Avdi? There is. Yeah, it's Rogues Club, all caps, all one word. Twenty okay. percent discount. Woohoo! <laughs> it's a good book. Go read it. Yep. I love it. All right, and with that, I guess we'll wrap this up, and we'll catch y'all next week.